0: Whew. You guys feel like you just got out of a roller coaster, like with a T-Rex uppercutting a Play-Doh can or something? That's like one of my favorite lines from a YouTuber way back in the day. It's, it's incredible. No, worship team, thanks for that. That was awesome. <laughs> guys, I'm Zach Rao. I'm not Zach Vanna. Like the Facebook post earlier this week, did you guys see it? It was like, yeah, Zach's preaching tight. And it was like Zach Vanna with a mask on. And... Some people were like, "Oh, like, can I go?" Like they were asking Zach, "Like, I heard you're preaching at Saul. Can I come from Waverly?" So if you're here from Waverly and you're expecting Zach, man, I'm sorry. It's, it's not me. It's, it's me. I'm Zach. Um, I want to start off tonight with a, with a couple of questions. Have you guys <laughs> have you ever heard someone complain before? What about this? Would you ever describe yourself? As a complainer. Have you ever complained about how much someone else is complaining? <laughs> what about this? Have, have you ever been disappointed in yourself with how much you complain? Like you feel like, man, I I I really should be more thankful in my life. Well, maybe other people are telling you that. Look at the bright side. Well, tonight, guys, we're gonna continue this case study on the colony of heaven. We've been going through the book of Philippians and this big theme is, is this like idea of citizenship in heaven and we were calling, calling it the colony of heaven and we wanna answer this question. How does, how does a Christian behave in light of their changed citizenship, okay? The citizenship that used to like be in a land of death that's now in a land of life. Specifically tonight, we're gonna to answer this question. Where does complaining fit into the colony of heaven? So go ahead, open your Bibles. We're gonna be in Philippians two, twelve through 30 tonight. And as you're flipping there, I just wanna get us up to speed a little bit. Ryan was talking about this, teed me up really well. Thank you for that, Ryan. Two weeks ago, Mikey preached a sermon, and he told us through Philippians one, how this colony of heaven, this, this, the Christian response to suffering, we found in that text that our suffering is never for nothing. God always has a plan in it. and It actually propels the gospel of Jesus Christ forward. Christians don't despise their suffering. They actually welcome it, not because of some vain hope or some vain idea that maybe it's better on the other side, but because there's a living God, a belief in him, a belief that says to die is or to live is Christ. To die is gain. That the hope of the Christian life, it it, it isn't actually in this life. It's in the next life. So we're going to fast forward a week. Remember Ryan, he's preaching on the humility of God, right? Like this idea that God is so humble that he even created us. Already knowing all the way from the beginning of creation before creation that when he was going to create the world, one day he would have to send his very own son to die on a tree for our sin. A God so humble that even despite that knowledge, he would still create us. And now he's inviting us in this race down the ladder, right? Not up it. Not, not seeking approval from man or people's opinions of us or a job or whatever. We get to instead race down the ladder. And when we finally get there at the end of our lives, we'll see Jesus there waiting for us, Right? Those two sermons actually help this one tremendously. And so if, you, if you, this is like your first time, welcome. You don't need to know all of that. I'm just trying to catch us up a little bit, maybe remind you, refresh your memory. But I would encourage you guys, if you haven't listened to those sermons, go listen to them. They're all online on our website. Check it out. The reason why this helps tremendously for me this week is because Paul wants to make something absolutely crystal clear about this colony of heaven, this church, Because if we believe that suffering is never for nothing, and that our God is humble, even inviting us into his humility, then and only then can we actually receive this instruction that he's gonna be giving us here in Philippians 2.12. Okay, Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, let's park there for a little bit. We've got a lot of Bible to get through, so I'm trying to go a little fast. There's therefore, like this word. Okay, here's, a, here's like a Christian life hack for you. Whenever you're reading your Bible and you see the word therefore, I want you to stop immediately and reread what that person just said. Okay, because here's what therefore means. It's like, because of what I just said, these things are now true. Okay, so everything that Paul just said, looking back, we're saying God is humble. Because Jesus came to die for our sins, and because one day everyone will bow the knee to King Jesus, because all that's true, because God the Father will be glorified in the worship of his son, he can actually explain these instructions to us. So he's saying, because all that's true, listen into this. But even before he gives us instruction, guys, I love this. He reminds us who we are to him. Therefore, beloved. He's not talking to strangers here. He's not talking to enemies or just random people on the street. He's not giving some vain idea of like Christian positivity and holding the door open for someone you don't know. Paul is talking here to some of his dearest friends he's ever made in his life. How do I know that? Acts 16, Paul actually, it's describing this episode of when Paul actually starts this church. It's actually the first church Paul ever starts in his ministries. The Philippian church. And he's talking to them. Guys, he loves these people. The Philippians mean almost everything to Paul. Like, they're friends. They're on the same side. They have this deep-rooted, like, grounded affection and, like, this history of friendship between one another. And he's saying, Therefore, beloved, brothers and sisters in Christ, listen to these words. As you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. There's a lot to unpack there. We can see here, okay, yeah, Paul's writing to believers, right? People that have begun to obey Jesus and they've turned their life away from their sin towards God And if that's not you tonight, if you would say, hey, you don't know exactly where you are with this whole Jesus thing. Guys, that's okay. Keep coming. (laughs) Keep listening. We welcome you guys here. Whether you're online, you're listening in. But guys, especially, especially for those of you that would claim that you are a Christian, that you are a follower of Christ, that you have turned away from your sin, listen to these words. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. At first glance, this can kind of seem counterintuitive, right? Like we just heard last week, Jesus already died on the cross. Okay, he did that so that he could save us from our sin problem so that we don't have to work for God's approval. And yet Paul is saying here, hey, work out that salvation with fear and with trembling. What's going on there? Like, is it one or is it the other? Do we just believe in Jesus or do we also try to do good things for him that please him? Is it just faith or is it faith and also working really hard? It's an important question. Think about the phrase this way. This is kind of as Been studying this word, and as I've been trying to figure out what this means, work out your own salvation, right? Okay, think about it like this: apply your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Apply it. Live, live out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Or because because of your salvation, live your life with fear, with trembling. He's not saying you need to work for your salvation. No, no. He's saying you need to work out of your salvation. You don't need to work for your salvation. You need to work because of it. Your salvation, guys, it has a trajectory. Okay? It has an end goal. It looks like something. It has a purpose beyond yourself. It changes you, and therefore it changes the world around you because of the new way you live your life. There's a way that this colony of heaven, this church, this body of believers live. And it's different when you have an aim that it's not to get right with God, but it's because you're already right with him. But why do we need to fear and tremble? (laughs) Paul just kind of throws that in. That seems like scary. Like I don't want to work for my salvation as if I'm afraid every day that God's gonna smite me for doing something bad. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will, to work for his pleasure. Fear and trembling, they're often related to these words in the New Testament, like respect or like be in awe of or like have wonder, right? And those words are kind of lost on us today. Like we just say like, hey, dude, like how was last weekend? Dude, it was awesome. Like it was, it was incredible. And like, what'd you do? Like, oh, I played video games and I read my books for school. And you're like, is that really awesome? Like, did that provoke a sense of awe in you? Like, were you dumbfounded at yourself that you did your homework and played games? How was your weekend? Oh, it was great. It was incredible. It was amazing. It blew my mind. I watched YouTube. No, guys. <laughs> That's not... We, we, like, lost the meaning of those words, and here's what I'm, tra- I'm trying to recapture that for us. It's, it's not that you need to be afraid that... Like, God's going to be mad at you if you're not working. But you should, like, you should be amazed that God is working in you. Like, that should blow your mind. You wake up in the morning and you're like, holy smokes, God is working in me. That should, like, provoke something in us. Guys, I remember when I first got saved, like, (laughs) as a sophomore in high school, like, I woke up on Sundays at 7.30 in the morning to go to church. And I remember waking up and sitting there and thinking to myself, what happened to me? Who am I? Or like when I first applied for my first job at Hy-Vee as a courtesy clerk, you know, like a professional cart pusher, I was, I was in the middle of my interview with the HR representative there, like a really high profile, you know, like she can hire and she can fire people and she can, you know, stop you from getting hired kind of person. I don't know how this happened, guys. I ended up just like sharing the gospel with her in my interview. That's weird, okay? That's not something I would do in my own flesh. God was working in me. Have you ever had a feeling like that? Like there was something about me that shifted from wanting to sleep in on Sundays and having like little to no self-esteem. That changed when Jesus entered the picture of my life. Not only did like my will change, kind of like what I was setting my mind on, my actions, but like my work itself, like it had a whole new purpose. I remember like this, when I was kind of reading my Bible as a baby Christian, Ephesians 2.10 was like one of the first verses I remembered. Uh, it's like, um, for you are God's workmanship. Some of the translations would describe it like, you are God's masterpiece, predestined in Christ for good works that you may walk in them. Guys, when I read that verse, like I wasn't like, oh, can you believe God expects me to work for him? But it was like, No. Like, God's created me for an incredible purpose in my life. Like, I'm, I'm excited to do what God wants me to do. It's what I was made for. There was this, this awe and wonder that I had in my life, being God's workmanship, walking in his ways. It wasn't scary. It wasn't like I was thinking that there's a scale at the end of my life, thinking, oh, man, I better do good, enough good. I better do enough good that I'll the bad. Otherwise, I'm going to get there on judgment day, and God's going to say, mm, Sorry. That's not how it works. Maybe maybe this illustration will help you put it together. Okay, Spider-Man 1, Tobey Maguire trilogy. Who's out there? Okay, better than Andrew Garfield, right? Okay, he gets bit by the spider. Okay, he goes home, he passes out, he wakes up a few hours later. What happens? My man wakes up. He's trying to put on his glasses, he can't see. Takes off his glasses, he can see just fine. That's not how I'm doing today. I gotta put these back on. Okay. He has a shirt off for some reason with jeans. That's like what you did in the early 2000s, okay? He's looking at himself in the mirror. My man's cut up. He's yoked out of his mind, guys. <laughs> There's, he's like looking at himself. So he's saying, what, what happened to me? I'm not who I was before, like a few hours ago. I'm nowhere near the same person. He's yoked out of his mind. I love saying that. Something is fundamentally different about Peter Parker that day. And as he's kind of rediscovering this new him, guys, as he's trying to like live out this life, he has a completely new identity. He's not Peter Parker anymore. He's Spider-Man. Spider-Man sounds like a villain. That's like the old guy. But anyway, okay, that's not what Paul is saying here. He knows, like, okay, so Spider-Man, he knows, right, that he can't, He can't go back to the way his life was before. Like something's completely changed about who he is. The whole trajectory of his life has a new target, okay? And that's what Paul is saying here. He doesn't just like stop there and he says, God is working in you. But there's something actually that I think is even crazier that he says, second half of verse 13, he works in you both to will and to work for what? For his good pleasure, His good pleasure. Like God doesn't work in you for no reason, or even just like for like your your own morality or um, morale, like how you're feeling about yourself on a given day. Guys, he works in you because he delights in you. He delights in you becoming more like him. And that's what's so crazy here. God loves to work on His children, just like He loved to work through His Son Jesus Christ to bring you salvation. So God loves to work in you, make you more like Him. And this encouraging reminder, guys, like this, this really steady upward trajectory that we're having, Paul kind of lead us forward, is all preparing us for this bomb that drops in verse fourteen. Work on your out your salvation with fear and trembling, to will to work to please God. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. <sighs> now, I don't know what your guys' track record is kind of like this week in, in that regard. Let me just kind of let you into mine. Uh, yesterday, as I was kind of preparing this sermon, I, I started on it yesterday because I was like, well, if I don't start it yesterday, then I'll need to start it today, and it might be even worse. And so <laughs> I, I was like, I was kind of thinking about this and, you know, do do everything without grumbling, without disputing, and I was thinking about this, and I, and I had this kind of revelation, I guess, if you will. Like, my whole Sunday, my whole Monday, and my whole Tuesday, and that day was Wednesday, so that was every day that I could really remember prior to, was filled, guys. It was filled with complaining. It was filled with grumbling, with disputing. And, like, the disputing wasn't even between, like, me and someone, but it was in, like, my imagination of, like, oh, man, if I threw down with this person right now, here's what they would say, and then this is what I would say to kind of counteract and make them look really dumb. And this is just, like, how I'm going to win this argument and get what I want. I mean, let's be honest. That's a miserable way to live. Just thinking, like, other people always have it out for you. You got to win the battle. You got to, you know, you're, you're fighting for your rights. Someone's wronged you. Guys, not only is that a miserable way to live your life, it's a devilish, a devilish way to live your life. An empty way to live. Kind of pulling back the curtain more. One of the people that I had sinned kind of most greatly, that I'd been complaining about the most in my life this week. And when you hear this name, you're gonna be like, dude, really? Are you are you stupid? But it was it was Jeff Dodge. Okay, for those of you guys that like know Jeff Dodge, he's like an elder here, like at this church. He's a pastor. Like a real one. (laughs) Here's how Ryan Hamby describes Jeff Dodge. When you walk into the room with Jeff Dodge, your soul gets a hug. (laughs) Okay? I was mad at that guy. I was complaining about him. And so I was like, you know, it'd be a really great idea if I just kind of hunkered down, if I uh, confessed that to you guys, because we just talked about confession at our leaders meeting. I was like, you know, I'll lead by example. Why not? But then I'd like this chilling thought into my mind guys, if I confess this to you guys (laughs) and I don't confess to Jeff Dodge and he's like listening to this sermon because he actually cares about like what we're teaching about for you guys, like he cares about you guys enough to like make sure what we're saying is is true and right and good. Guys, if he heard me confess to you guys and not confess to him, how do you think that would go over? (laughs) So I was like, oh man, like I can't just confess to you guys. Like I got to call Jeff. And so I'm like calling up my pastor (laughs) with fear and trembling. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, hey Jeff, You just got to know, like, this is kind of where I'm at with you this week. Um, That sounded a lot worse. Here's how I sinned against you, right? Let's, Let's think about it that way. Here's how I've been complaining wrongly about you, Jeff. And I confessed my sin to him. Guys, Jeff met me with so much grace. So much grace. Double doctor degrees pastor of many, elder of a church, some punk comes confessing sin to him. This is, this is what he says to me. I'll, I'll never forget this. Zach, I actually think more of you now because God's word has convicted you and because you've confessed your sin to me. Go and preach with conviction. I don't know, that, that gets me worked up. And I'm like sitting there on the other line, like tearing up as I kind of am right now. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do that. You send like the smiley face, like crying emoji. (laughs) Here's why I'm telling you all this. I think I have an idea of why Paul uses the word grumbling here. Like maybe today in our vernacular, we don't say like, dude, my roommate was totally grumbling last night. (laughs) Or like, (laughs) did you hear that person grumbling about Jeff? (laughs) You hear me grumbling now, like we don't say that. But here's how I do use the word grumbling. It's when I'm hungry, and I look at my wife, and I say, honey, my tummy is grumbling. <laughs> like, my tummy is empty, I need food to fill it, let's go to McDonald's, come on. <laughs> my tummy's grumbling, it's empty. Guys, when we grumble, when we complain, we are saying something to ourselves. That we are empty. That we need to be filled with something we don't have. Let me tell you guys, when I, when I was confessing to Jeff, like, I was met with grace in the gospel. And after that call, like, I, was, I was trembling. I was in awe. Not because Jeff like, rebuked me super sharply, but I was thinking, man, God is working in my life. He's making me more like him. Like not only God forgives me, but like Jeff forgives me. That blew my mind. Let me just say this to be clear. Complaining, guys, it has no place in the colony of heaven. It has no place. This is what Paul means next in verses 15 through 18. He says, do all things without grumbling, verse 14, 15, so that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The colony of heaven, it doesn't complain, guys, because it needs to shine as lights here. When we complain, our testimonies are at stake. Sure, you may believe in God, but I don't think you act like it because everything in your life seems to be going wrong in this God that you're talking about that makes everything work out for the good of those who believe in Romans 8. It doesn't seem to be kind of lining up with the way you're living. You may know that to be true, but is it, is it impacting your day-to-day, guys? That's not what you're made for. You're not made to complain. You're made to rejoice, to delight in God and in each other in this colony of heaven. Let me say it like this. This is the truth about complaining, kind of if you're taking notes. Complaining is the fruit. It's the fruit, like the byproduct of forgetting that God is humble and your suffering is never for nothing. You forget and then you complain. Guys, when we forget Ryan and Mikey's sermons from the past two weeks, when we forget like this awe and wonder of God working in us, that's the open door that complaining takes and sneaks into this colony. And like a thief in the night, guys, it ravages us. It robs us of our joy. It robs you of your purpose in an instant. The colony that's supposed to be built by a natural, mutual love of God is now replaced with splinters and fractures of smaller tribes based on collective hatreds, not collective loves. That's what complaining does. Paul, even later in Philippians, in this very book, he'll bring up this case of these two ladies um, arguing about something in the church, and he's like pleading with them both in chapter 4, Be united in the Lord. You can disagree as people in the church, that's not wrong. When you're complaining about someone, you've made an error in your life. You're taking an image of God and you're trying to make it something that it's not. So if we have this huge problem of complaining and if it's really as potent as I'm saying it is, what's what's like the antidote, right? What's the cure for complaining? It's the next verse, guys. I love what Paul says here. This is our defense against complaining. This is, this is the hope for us in the fight. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud I did not labor in vain or run in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice. The word of life, guys, this, this book, this Bible. That is our defense against complaining. Here's the difference between my Sunday through Thursday and my Wednesday and today. That book. When I sat down yesterday, I was like, I got to write a sermon, <laughs> you know, God help me. I'm soaking up God's word. I sat there for hours. I took all morning and most of the afternoon meditating on these words. Because if I don't learn anything from it, how can I teach you? And what happened to me, guys? Here's what I'm saying. As I was soaking myself in God's word, bathing in it, trying to make a sermon, I suddenly had less things to complain about. Like, I I had nothing to complain about, actually. When I saw that God works in me for his pleasure, and that Jesus didn't even complain about dying for me, and that my suffering isn't for nothing, and God is humble, And his humility is actually the source of my happiness. It became hard for me to think about things to complain about. Listen, like, I'm not trying to say, like, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. You know, like, you may have heard that from your parents. It's a terrible way to deal with a crying child. A horrible (laughs) way. It's The Bible, it's not, like, taking your complaints and, like, saying, well, Jesus died on the cross, so get over yourself. That's not what it's saying. Here's what the Bible is revealing to you. There is a loving father... A loving father that understands life can be hard, okay? He understands that bad things can happen to good people and that good things can happen to bad people. But in everything, guys, God is on the move. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And he has a humility that always wins the day for us. It always wins the day. Because he sent his son Jesus, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's Hebrews twelve two, if you're wondering. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus didn't even complain about the cross. How mind blowing is that? He didn't complain. He just stated a fact as he was dying and being bled out on the on the ground. He said, "I'm thirsty." Here's how I'm translating that for you tonight. I'm grumbling. Not in a complaining way that we grumble, but in a way that says I'm being emptied. I'm being poured out for the sake of the children of God. Paul even goes as far to say, hey, if I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering, upon the offering of your faith, man, I'm happy. I'm happy to do that. What, what, a better, like, what better way is there to look like Jesus Christ than being poured out like he was for the sake of another person? He's saying, you, you should be happy too. Here's what he means. Drink offerings, like way back in the day, we're talking like the Ten Commandments, the law, all that good stuff. Drink offerings, they were like made to like accompany like an offering of like a bull or a lamb or a sheep or some other animal to like cover over this person's sin. And this person would take a cup of usually of like wine And they would like pour it out over the offering. It's like this way of symbolizing like this creature's life, like it's blood, it's it's like innate life that's in It's being poured out for my sake. It's being poured out, it's being emptied. Likewise, guys, Jesus, when he's about to be going up to the cross, being crucified, being emptied of himself, he takes some bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body, which is being broken for you. And then he takes a cup of wine and he, and he takes a drink of it. And he's saying, this, this is my blood. My blood that's being poured out for your sake. Paul is saying, if I'm being poured out, if I'm emptied myself, so for, for the sake of you, your faith, I'm happy. I rejoice in that. Likewise, guys, we should be eager to be poured out for the sake of others. You see, complaining, complaining doesn't let us live like that. Complaining doesn't allow us to be humbled. It doesn't allow us to see the way that God is like working in our lives. Because the heart of complaining, it's always this, guys. Why me? Why, why did this happen to me? What's wrong here that this happened to me? What do I need to fix? What's going on? But when as a colony, we look at this book and we read it and we take to heart what it has to say and we understand that suffering is never for nothing, And we see that God is humble to send his son to die for us. We can't ask why me anymore. No, our our, our attention gets taken off ourselves and we say, why would God do that? Why would he do that? It makes no sense. There's no rationale, rhyme or reason that God would send his very own one and only son to die on the cross for your sake other than this. He loves you way more than you think he does way more. Okay, after these, these super dense verses in verses like 12 through 18, Paul kind of shifts in 19 through 24, and he's talking about his friend Timothy, okay? Timothy, he's kind of giving like a character report for Timothy. He's like, hey, I want to send Timothy to you. Um, this is how much him, like, he wants to see the uh, Philippians himself. He's like, man, I want to see you, but I don't think I can because, you know, I'm kind of in prison right now, so I'll send Timothy. I'll send him to come, come and say hi, because, like, Timothy, he's going to care for you as much as I care for you. Like, he's going to have the same kind of love in Christ that we have, and he's going, to, he's going to be a part of that. He's excited. But I don't have time to really dig into that tonight, so we're going to skip down to verse 25. Paul shifts again from this description of Timothy to, like, this description of this guy named Epaphroditus. Okay, Epaphroditus is never mentioned again in the Bible, but it's like, we should kind of tune into that. Like, okay, this is your opportunity to understand why is he in the Bible. Let's look. Epaphroditus, he's, he's a member of the Philippian church, right? I'm going to summarize a little bit here. He's a member of the Philippian church. He probably knew Paul really intimately, like, as a good friend, because of their relationship that Paul has had with the Philippians. Okay, the Philippians here, Paul's in prison. Like, we should send someone to him. So they're like Epaphroditus, would you go like give her, give Paul some money? Would you give him some food, some water, some other stuff, just so like he can live in prison? Because back in the day, like they didn't feed you if you were a prisoner. Like people had to go and feed you, otherwise you just starved to death. They're like, we need, we want to do that for Paul. We love Paul. Let's do it. And then like we're reading, and then in verse 27 it goes, well, yeah, like Epaphroditus he fell ill. Not only like he got a cold or a fever or a cough. Like no, he he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only to him, but also on me, lest I, have, I should have like sorrow upon sorrow. And so Paul is saying like here, hey, Epaphroditus almost died getting this gift to me. And it's really nice that God had mercy on him, because <laughs> he also had mercy on me in having mercy on Epaphroditus. Like He saved Epaphroditus's life, and then that allowed Epaphroditus to get the gift to Paul and make him be able to survive in prison. You get what I mean? Paul says God had mercy on him. And this seems like completely unrelated, okay? At least it, it did to me when I was reading it. Maybe you're smarter than I am. He's, he's saying like, oh, don't complain, don't grumble, whatever. And then he kind of gives two reports of like men. And you're like, hey, you should like honor these people. But guys, as I like reread this narrative over and over again, I noticed something really strange about this whole account on Epaphroditus and Timothy. What's weird? Paul didn't complain about them. He didn't complain about them. No, he like exalted them. He like brought them to a place where it's like, man, you should really love this guy because I really love this guy. Different from us saying like, hey, I don't like him, so you shouldn't like him. Or I don't like her, so you shouldn't like her. And, or I don't like that, so you, you really shouldn't like that. Paul is, Paul is flipping the script. He's saying, I love this guy. Maybe you should too. He's a great guy. He almost died to bring me some stuff. Paul even says in verse 30, yeah, he nearly died for the work of Christ. Risking in his life to complete what was lacking, (laughs) lacking in your service to me. Okay, first of all, that'd be like a great description of your life to aim at. Like the end of your life, they say like, oh man, Zach, yeah, like he nearly died for the work of Christ. That'd be like so awesome to have as like on your tombstone or something like this person nearly died to work for Christ. You know, there's actually like a lot of people that have died to work for Christ, like martyrs, like people that go to preach the gospel to unreached people groups, and then they end up being slaughtered by the people they're trying to share the hope of Jesus with. He's saying, this guy nearly died for me in the work of Christ. But this word lacking, I couldn't get away from it. It seems like Paul is kind of taking a little jab at these guys, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I'm like 80% fundraised right now, and I could really use something. You guys weren't doing too well. But then he said Epaphroditus, and he kind of got that, you know, Epaphroditus stimulus check, and so now we're fine. We're doing good. Got my 1,200. Guys, that's not, that's not what he's saying. It's not this monetary difference in, in lacking. No, it was, it was a love that realized that it was lacking action to Paul. These Philippians, guys, they loved Paul. And when they saw him in prison, it wasn't like, well, we gave him this much, but maybe we should give him more. Let's check the budget. They're like, no, we love Paul. He's in trouble. we got to help him. we got to bring him something. It was this love that drove them to send Epaphroditus. And then the guy that's sending him almost dies from this crazy illness. And Paul's like, well, you should go back. Like, You need to show them that you're alive. Because like, on their way, they heard that Epaphroditus got sick, but they didn't know what happened to him. Like, He could have been dead on the road before he ever got there and never gave his gift to Paul. Someone might have taken it. Who knows what happened? Imagine how much despair you would be if that was you in the moment. You sent someone to go give someone something, and then you never heard from them again for like three months. Okay, here's what Paul is saying. He's like, no, like, you need to go back to them because you've been such an encouragement to me. I want to go back and encourage them because we love each other. We're the church. We're the colony of heaven. And we think like tales like this, like people almost dying and like kind of like this fantastical like, new church kind of stuff. Like seems kind of mystical. It doesn't seem like it really happens today, guys, but it does. Let me give you a couple of examples. One of the main reasons I came to Christ in my life, actually, is because I had a brush with death my freshman year of high school myself. It set me on a path to like think about what is life actually about? What is my purpose? And that led me to Jesus. Like Here's how I like to say it. God had to almost kill me to save me. He had to almost kill me to save me. I was so callous in my heart. I was so closed off to the idea of a loving father, a loving God, that it almost took me dying to realize that it might possibly be true. So that's enough about myself, but I want to tell you guys something about a little bit more recently, a little something that happened over the summer. I want to tell you guys about Sam Hedrick. Okay, do you guys know who Sam Hedrick is? Yeah, I'm getting a couple woos. Yeah, okay, guys, we love Sam Hedrick. She's great. She was going to go overseas this summer, preach the gospel to people who had never heard it before you know covid and stuff. So, but guys, she was she was a joy to have in the ministry. She was growing in Christ. She was leading others. Guys, this summer she got sick. Not like a fever sick, not like a cold or a cough sick. No, she actually got a terrifying bacterial infection. Looking at like, what this infection kind of looks like, it has a 83% mortality rate. 83%. You don't get an infection like that and plan on your celebration of life ceremony. Like you go there and when you know that that happens, you start planning for your funeral. She was beyond medical aid, guys. She was on a ventilator for two weeks, in the hospital for four weeks. She fell extremely ill. But guys, God had mercy on her. God saved her life. And honestly, He had grace on us too. He had mercy on us too, lest we should have a sorrow of burying a sister in Christ that died untimely. But not only did God have mercy on her and her mom and us, Oh sorry, I meant to say her mom that time. You get it. He had grace on her mom. Here's why. Not only does she not have to bury her daughter, she gave her life to Jesus. When she came to the end of herself, the end of her faith in things here, and she saw a colony of heaven praying for Sam Loving Sam, checking in on Sam. That's the moment she gave her life to Jesus. She saw a colony of heaven, guys, in the midst of the almost certain death of her own daughter. Here's my question for you about that. When Sam gets back to Iowa City and we start booing with her again, she's, she's a lot of fun to have around, do you think she's going to complain about getting sick? You think she's going to complain about almost dying? There's no chance, guys. There's no chance because her mom is now going to enjoy a glorious inheritance with her in Christ forever. Friends, brothers, sisters, beloved, you guys, you are a colony of heaven if you are in Christ Let's not waste our opportunity showing this very dark place, shining the light of Jesus by complaining. Complaining about things, guys, that are honestly, like, they're they're so temporary. Like, your exams are going to be over at some point. Your car will probably get fixed. It's okay. God is at work in all of you. He's calling you to be with Him He's calling us to a place, to be a place that is more obsessed with Jesus and how that makes us more in common rather than complaining about what is different about us. Would you pray with me? Yeah, Father God, man, you're such a good, a good dad. You know exactly what you're doing. God, you, you put the things even in my week that I chose to complain about so that you would see me complain about them and then confess that very sin to you. Not only to you, but to this place and to Jeff. God, you're working in crazy ways here. And God, I just ask that we would just have more of you and less of ourselves tonight, God, that, that we can believe the truths that are in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that At the name of King Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, make it so in this place. It's in your name we pray. Amen.